Becoming Like Christ. Welcome to episode 54 of Anglican Catechesis, where we're learning to follow Jesus on the Anglican way. Today we'll be covering the introduction to part four of To Be a Christian in Anglican Catechism, the official catechism of the Anglican Church in North America. I'm Father Kurt Hine, Rector of Light of Christ Anglican Church in Georgetown, Texas, joined today by my co-catechist, Father Isaac Rayberg, Rector of All Saints Anglican Church in San Antonio, Texas. But before we begin, let's start with a prayer. This is from the Occasional Prayers, number 91, for submission to God's will. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, I adore you. Enlighten me, guide me, strengthen me, console me. Tell me what I should do. Give me your orders. I promise to submit myself to all that you desire of me and to accept all that you permit to happen to me. Let me only know your will. Amen. Amen. And that really is a beautiful prayer that puts into words the heart of someone who is who is who has received and obeyed the commandment to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Yeah. Really the claim that Christ makes over our life is not as an advisor, <laughs> right? Or um even a confidant, although he, he is all those things, but ultimately he is Lord. Right, he, and he he calls for our absolute and utter loyalty and obedience to him because he is God. It would be an inappropriate thing for anyone else to do, right? Except the one who is God become man, Jesus Christ. And so that's his claim, and he proved it through the resurrection of the dead, and and that's um, why we follow him and we give him all that we are. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength um, because he made us and he redeemed us. And so we come to this part four, this introduction to part four. It's been a long journey to get here, <laughs> but we're in the last section of To Be a Christian in Anglican Catechism called Becoming Like Christ. So a reminder of, of where we've been as far as the sections of the catechism. We started with beginning with Christ, so that introduced us um, to Jesus and the gospel and gave the reader an opportunity to to, to make that first step of faith, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Then a part two was believing in Christ. So going through the Apostles' Creed, learning who Jesus is, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, what we believe, um, who we trust. And then part three, which we just finished, belonging to Christ, is, is really about the focus. It's focused on the Lord's Prayer, and it's about the life of prayer, which is the breath of the Christian and, and how we live our life for Christ is, is through prayer. And that, that brings us here to part four, our, our actions. How does this affect, we love God. How does this affect how we love those made in his image, love ourselves and our neighbors? And so here we be, here we start to talk about how we become like Jesus. What's it really look like to be formed in the image of God, in the image of Jesus Christ? Yeah. And so this section in part four is going to be focusing largely on the 10 commandments. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, unpacking each of the commandments, unpacking God's law. Uh, one of the really important things to know about God's law is that it's not arbitrary. Mm. Um, you know, God doesn't flip a coin on the issues of his law and just, you know, and decide, uh, is a uh, false witness good or bad? Flip a coin. This one came up bad. Okay. Thou shalt not bear false witness. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. But rather, rather these things tell us about God's character. They mm. tell us what, what God values, um, what he's like. 
And so if we want to become like Christ, um, being learning to be obedient is going to help us be like Christ. Right. Yeah, they're not, they're not arbitrary. The, the laws reflect the way that God created the world. Yeah. There are cause and effect relationships that are related to the way that we act in the world. And, and it's in that way, it's similar to something like the law of gravity. I mean, there's a cause and effect relationship. You drop something, you, you, you jump off of a building, um, you will fall, right? This is what happens. Well, that cause and effect relationship, those also exist for us humans in the, in the realm of our moral choices. And those also have um, corresponding cause and effect relationships. And they are not arbitrary. It's like, for example, my child, we live on a, we, my children, we all, we live on a very busy street that's getting busier every day. And it might seem arbitrary to them that I say, hey, you don't run into that street and I don't care what ball goes out there. And there's a consequence, right, for that. You're going to get in time out and you're not going to be happy. And they don't understand. But I understand. Like the consequence, right. there's a, there's a reality there that the law is expressing, which is if they do go out into that road to, to follow the soccer ball, um, they could get run over, right? And so there was a rabbi, my Old Testament um, professor in seminary, he quoted a rabbi who had taught him, who told him, um, you do not break God's law, you break yourself on God's law. And I think that that shows sort of what we're talking about here. God has made the world in a certain way, and his law is revealing that to us, how, um, how he desires us to be formed into um into truth yeah and, and that that's 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 a very important part of god's law is that it is it not only shows us about him but it shows us how we're how we're meant to be mm -hmm. how 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 life is supposed to work best um you know saint paul tells us in romans 2 that there's a certain extent where um where where we're all naturally aware of the basic principles of god's law even if we've never heard it as god's law you know, um, some traditions might call this kind of a uh, 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 Saint Paul's uh, understanding of natural law, natural, right? Yeah, and um, and and that's and that's that's very important. There is a proper order, um, which is really what it's all about to 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 living as a human being that God's law reveals. And if we want to 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 live in such a way that is going to be for our benefit, um, the best way to live it will be by God's law. Yeah. Uh, Paul says in Romans 2, 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this in The Abolition of Man. He calls it the Tao, or the way. There's a, you can see, even in world religions, there's there's sort of a general agreement on some of these principles, because these things are written on our heart. God yeah. made humans with a purpose and we all even though we are in sin have that latent memory of the garden right how things ought to be and it's in us and so these patterns keep emerging and 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 in christianity we have i love how it puts it here um, we have um, jesus christ who quote summarizes the law for us in his command to love god and our neighbor his moral teaching unfolds the law and applies it to the human heart. His teaching is universal, authoritative, and final. Right? So in Jesus, we have the final authoritative 
full and perfect revelation of God, which is the great, right, the great gift we have to offer the world is, is Jesus. And so when we look at perhaps, say, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, that's not so much as of a replacement for God's law as it is um, elucidation on it. Right. He's, Jesus is um, building off of that. He's building off of the law. Um, Paul tells us that, that the Old Testament law had a, um, a function that was pedagogical. It was a teaching function. Humanity um, needed to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And so there were many things in, in the law that were unclear, that weren't, um, that, that um, even, even at times allowances for behavior that weren't mm -hmm. really God's uh, desire for us. But when Christ comes, he explains the law according to the heart of God, and he reveals that to us. And so, yes, we're going to be using the Ten Commandments as the revelation of what God desires for our life, but we are reading the Ten Commandments as they're taught to us by Jesus Christ, right? That's it's right. Jesus Christ's interpretation of them as he brings the fullness of God's revelation to bear on them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, so, something I, I like to talk about with with my, uh, my parishioners is the um, kind of historic... Um, in both the uh, uh, Lutheran and the Reformed world, um, understanding of the law as having three uses. It's mm, good. Um, and so, and then the numbering of this is different in different traditions, but there's always um, one use is to restrain evil. Um, you know, when we know what God's law is, we're going to be less apt to break it. Um, even, even in our sin, we're going to be less apt to break it. Yeah. But because we still do break it, <laughs> and we all break it, um, one of the uh, the another use of the law is to send us to to Christ for mercy, hmm. to show us our sinfulness. Right. And then that third use of the law is as Christians, as those who have been united to Christ, show us what it looks like to live as God's people. Right. Yeah. That second function that you talked about is often called the mirror. Right. Function. Right. It's like we we look, we read the law. We look and see how Christ lived on the earth, and then we look at ourselves and are like, oh my goodness, there is a difference. <laughs> there is a difference between the way that Christ, his character, the way that he moved through life, being able to show great mercy and kindness to those who are broken, but also courage and speaking truth um, to power. Goodness, you know, just that incredible integrity, perfect integrity in his, in his character and as, as an individual in all kinds of situations of, of stress. And then I look at myself like, oh, okay. Um, I need to confess my sins, which thankfully I do in the daily office uh, <laughs> every day. Uh, but that's the mirror function of the law. And that is meant to drive us to, to God, to Christ, to confess our sins and receive his forgiveness and to rely on him. And then um, in Christ, right, forgiven, uh, we learn to love. And love is the fulfillment of the law. Like if we're, if we're actually seeking the good of the other, we begin to, to live out the law as it was intended. Um, you know, if you love your neighbor, you, for example, will not kill him. Um, <laughs> you know, you won't True. steal from him. You won't uh, commit adultery with his wife, right? And so we learn to love um, our neighbor and that, 
and then our life begins to to follow and, and look like um, the law of God. How should we answer someone that might say, well, the law is all about, you know, that's an Old Testament thing for the for us New Testament people. Um, you know, we don't have the law. We only have grace. Right. Um, well, I mean, first of all, the law is rooted in the character of God and who God is and who he made us to be. So that is not constrained. That That's the moral law. That's not constrained to time. And right. And the perfect revelation of that is in Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus came, he didn't ditch. I would just go back to Jesus. He didn't ditch the Old Testament law, right? He he reveals what the intentions of God were behind it, and he he brings it to um, perfection and maturity in in uh, his teaching of it to us. Um, but the the Lord continues to um, command us to follow these things at a much deeper level, even than in the in the Old Testament. In fact, if anything, it's become um, because Christ has this unique way of focusing on our intention in our heart, it's become uh, more intense, uh, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Than, than in the Old Testament, where, you know, if you were an Old Testament saint, the focus was a lot more on the your outward um, actions, but Christ brings it to the heart. And then Paul does the same thing. I mean, Paul re repeats many of those commandments uh, verbatim from, from the Ten Commandments as well. So, and yes, while, we, and while the Old Testament certainly has a concept of, you know, circumcision of the heart, you know, obey me with your lips, but but not with your heart, um, that sort of that sort of problem. You're yeah, it's it's a lot more external. And, yeah. um, you know, we've we've historically, um, you know, Protestants and Christians in general, but but especially in the Protestant tradition, our articles talk about this explicitly. Um talk about the three three different kinds of laws in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. And what we're going to focus on in part four is the moral law, right. um, because the ceremonial doesn't really apply in a new covenant context, though it does teach us things for the new covenant. And the civil law is, uh, we can kind of look at it as Old Testament case law. Again, we can get principles from that, right. but, um, you know, the, the, the specifics are, are, are not really what's as important but that moral law as you said that's 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 never gone away it's eternal and it really is the foundation for everything else that's right and that is that is expressed in the ten commandments yep and, the um, ten commandments are the are yeah basic moral law um really a summary of uh, of, of natural law according to a most most uh, historic christian understanding and it, and we do have to be careful I mean, we can't draw a straight line from the Old Testament to today. Um, we do we do have to do some careful thinking about that. Um, God's revelation to us uh, doesn't happen, didn't happen all at once, meaning to humanity, right? But it's progressive revelation. It's so, sort of yeah. like you could think about a plant. It starts with a seed, right? It sprouts, it grows over time, and then eventually you see the fullness of the plant as it flowers, Right, and bears fruit. And so in the Old Testament, it's more like you're looking at the stem and leaf. You haven't seen the, the full flower yet. Um, so God is doing things in the Old Testament that are preparatory for Jesus. And so when we read the Old Testament, we have to do it with Jesus as the center of our focus. What, what God, a lot of the things God is doing in the Old Testament is trying to, he's, he's, um, 
He's protecting his people from sin. He's creating a people who need a governance structure. Um, he's creating ceremonies to teach them concepts so that they can understand the coming Messiah. All of these things he's doing um, so that Christ can come and fulfill the law. And so we need to do the work when we read the Old Testament to make sure that we're reading it in light of how it all is anticipating and working towards Jesus Christ. And that that is very important. And so, yeah, you you know, Christians, we don't go back and, and, and atheists who don't know how to read the Bible will often, you know, go to Leviticus and, and say, oh, well, you eat shellfish, you know, you like lobster. <laughs> um, yeah, we're Christians, we don't read the Bible like that. Okay. So um, we, we've never read the Bible like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's never been the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, and, and ultimately, you know, Jesus is Jesus obedience is what we want to mirror. That's what yes. we're trying to get at. We want to become like him. And the Holy Spirit is active in that process. We're not doing it on our own strength. Right. And and unlike many of the, the commandments in the Old Testament law, which have, you know, like you were saying, ceremonial or civil purposes, those were constrained to a certain time and place and culture often. Jesus' example is different in the sense that it is not constrained by time and place and culture. But that's right. But Jesus' example is is good for all time and for all people that's right. in all cultures. And it's the beautiful thing about it because I mean, this is one of the great things that I meditate on. It brings me great joy and and is to think about Jesus. And he's a he's truly, when you read the gospels, he's truly a man who lives in Nazareth, right? In Galilee, in, in, you know, 30, 25 um, AD, 26 AD or whatever. He's, that's, that's what, that's who he is, right? So he is in a particular cultural context, but yet at the same time, he stands as a perfect example across all of time, like 2000 years later in a, in a very, very different culture, very, very different people, different language. He still stands as the perfect example for all people. That's, so there's so good. It is so, so good. He's, he is what John says, right? He is the word of God who dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. He is God become human. So you have, he's so he's very much human and he's very much God all at the same time. So let's uh, let's close our introduction with a prayer for spiritual provision and protection. Amen. Heavenly Father, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Look upon the heartful, heartfelt desires of your humble servants and stretch forth the strong hand of your majesty to be our defense against our enemies. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Anglican Catechesis, where we're learning to follow Jesus on the Anglican way. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a comment below. You can also take Anglican Catechesis with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. You can find the link in the YouTube description. Lord willing, we look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit.